This episode of the Concertcast is brought to you by the Congress for the New Urbanism, the nation's leading forum dedicated to advancing urbanism and promoting alternatives to sprawl. CNU's 17th Annual Congress will be in Denver June 10 through 14 and will feature 90-plus sessions, tours, and immersive experiences with hundreds of the world's most in-demand urbanists. Learn about the latest applications of new urbanism, connect and collaborate with designers, architects, city planning officials, transportation and community leaders who are committed to the principles of new urbanism. Learn more about the Congress for the New Urbanism and register today at www.cnu.org. Additional support for this podcast comes from Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash Kunstler for your free audiobook download. You're listening to the Kunstler Cast, a weekly conversation about the tragic comedy of suburban sprawl, featuring James Howard Kunstler author of The Geography of Nowhere, The Long Emergency, and World Made by Hand. I'm Duncan Crary, and today's topic is the role of bicycles. Well, hello, Jim. It's nice to see you in the cave again. It's nice to be here with you, Duncan. I have been getting a lot of listener calls, and they want to know your thoughts on bicycles. Hi, Duncan and Jim. My name is Eli. I live in Seattle, Washington. I love your show, and I've heard pretty much every back episode so far. One topic I think has been missing from your show has been the role of the bicycle as a future form of transportation in America. Jim has mentioned it a few times, and he seems down on them every time. I ask because I spent most of last year living in Enschede, which is a Dutch city where bicycles have about a 50% modal share. And in terms of safety, it's about 97% lower fatality rate per kilometers in the U.S., So I used to think cyclists were a bit of a whack job before I went there, and then I actually experienced for eight months uh, safe point-to-point transportation, even in suburbs. That was dirt cheap and accessible to anyone. And now that I come back, I wonder whether, you know, is it reasonable for us to be talking about going on essentially a trillion-dollar trolley-building orgy when we could just build bike facilities? My challenge that I have for Jim is I'd really like to ask Jim, Have you spent time living in the Netherlands or Holland, as you call it, for real? Or have you just doodled around, you know, the red light district and done the tourist things? And if you have, why do you not appear to be a believer in bicycles as a credible form of transportation? To me, it just seems like a no-brainer after living there. Thank you so much. I really love your show. Bye, guys. So, Jim, I I think just to set the tone, I think the listener, when he said you were down on bicycles, he might have been referring to the show, we were talking about horse transportation, and you were saying that in World Made by Hand, your novel, people didn't have access to the special alloys to make bikes? I don't know where he got the idea that I was against bicycles. I'm not against bicycles in any way in real life. In the novel I wrote... People are not using bikes for various reasons. They, they um, can't get the parts. They can't get the rubber for the tires. The, basically, the system for delivering the machines to people has broken down, and they can't do it locally. You know, they don't have rubber trees. And also, the other thing that people often overlook is that, you know, in, the pavements are broken up, and they're just bad for bicycling. Remember when bicycling really got underway in America, they were the ones behind the, the first paving movements. You know, they wanted to have good surfaces to ride their bicycles on long before the automobile came along. So they were the promoters of good pavements. If you don't have good pavements, you don't have the ability really to ride a bike. So 
that's what's going on in my novel, but it's not what goes on in my real life, you know, <laughs> where things haven't gotten to that level yet. And I'm totally in favor of bicycling. I, and I have been to Amsterdam. And in fact, when I was in Amsterdam, I rented a bicycle and I used it all the time. I, I did the same thing, by the way, in England. And I loved it. I mean, r riding a bike around Amsterdam is just deliriously wonderful. Mm -hmm. But the automobile in that context it has been highly disciplined in a way that you don't find in the United States. You know, in the U.S., uh, we seem to think that if you make the gesture of putting a stripe down on the road, that that's going to make it safe for people to bicycle. And it's it's not. It's, you know, it's scary. It's dangerous. People get killed frequently. People park in the bike lanes, too, in New York City and oh, stuff. Yeah. They just park in the bike lane. Our cities, uh, I guess, it really comes down to the cities. They're just not set up for biking in the U.S. the way they are in Holland. I mean, they've got it really. They've got the whole system. It's so... Uh, down, it's down to such a fine point in Holland that even where there is a little set of stairs like leading into a park or something, there is a metal gr uh, a kind of a groove in the center of the stairway that's designed for you to roll your bicycle wheel up the groove so it doesn't have to bounce up the stairs. Oh, great. That's how well organized that thing is. And so it's a delightful experience. Now, I'm I'm certainly not against it in the United States. It's just that we're, you know, we've just done such a poor job of enabling it to occur that you're sort of taking your life into your hands. I, you know, I got to tell you but something that happened to me a few years ago. You mind? Yeah. All no, right. no, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About five years ago, I was having a problem with uh, a hip that eventually had to get replaced. Uh, you know, I had to get a new joint. And that was, you know, from being a runner for 25 years, big mistake, never should have done that. But that's another story. Anyway, during that period, just before the operation, you know, I was I was on my bike a lot because it hurt so much to walk around and it didn't hurt as much to ride my bike. So I was riding my bike uh, on the sidewalks of our main street here in Saratoga called Broadway. And a cop stopped me and hassled me about it and told me she was actually going to have my bike taken away. Why? Because I was riding on the sidewalk. Oh, the sidewalk, okay. Yeah, because there's an ordinance about that, and they were into really strict enforcement during the tourist season, and they were really hassling people. She was going to take my bike away. I mean, she's, you know, as like, you know, uh, I don't know, they were going to take it hostage. There was an, another young cop that I knew who came up to her while this was going on and persuaded her not to do it. But uh, I stopped riding on the sidewalk, and about a week later, I, I swear... I was riding my bike in the street, on the main street, and I, and I stopped at a red light next to a trucker. And, you know, he opens his window and sticks his head out and says, get off the street, asshole. So that's what it happens in America. You yeah. know, I mean, if you, you ride your bike on the sidewalk, you know, you get arrested. If you ride your bike on the street, the truckers want, want to annihilate you. So, you know, what are you left with? Yeah, I remember when I lived in Boston, I would be crossing the uh, street, walking my bike through an intersection, and the engines would just be revving with, you know, I had a red light, but they're like, what are you going to do, run yeah. me over? To inform I'm... you, I could hurt you, dude. Yeah, what are you going to do, kill me? Well, I understand. I mean, as a pedestrian, I don't like it when bicycles are on the sidewalk, because that's something else you got to look out for. But I understand how scary it is to ride your bike in the street, which I do. So I think that's another thing that listeners want to know, Jim, is... Um, your thoughts on bike lanes, bike trails, initiatives to improve the conditions for bicycling. Because you've talked about passenger rail a lot, how that would improve things. And I would think that bicycle trails would help too. Well, you know, I think that 
a couple of things about it. Uh, uh, one is that it, it's a very highly specialized form of design that I don't really have the technical expertise for, so I don't even pretend to know how you set it up in a city. And there are places where it, in America where it's somewhat set up. I, I'd say the things that work best in America are not the urban bicycle amenities, because they're generally pretty poor, I think. That's just the white line in the street, you're saying? Yeah, or, or not even that. I mean, I think there's just very little. The, the things that work in America are the bike trails that are, exist as a, you know, a totally separate counterpart to the road system. And in a way, it's crazy to have to create a counterpart to the road system. I mean, that's sort of nuts in itself, uh, uh, not to mention incredibly luxurious. I mean, you've got to be an incredibly rich society to afford two parallel roadway networks, you know? Although and, a lot and of we're not going to be that rich anymore. You know, we're going to be a lot... Trillions of dollars are leaving our society, yeah. uh, you know, in this period. It, we're just... We're going to be so much less wealthy and so much less able to do this kind of stuff than we were, were before. But back to my point, which is just that... The things that have worked pretty well are the trails that are just dedicated bike trails. And, you know, there are parts of the country where I've seen them that, you know, they're kind of unexpected. I remember being in Cedar Falls, Iowa last year um, in the fall, and I actually went walking down their bike trail with the, one of the host who was, you know, sort of uh, handling me, babysitting me for, my, for the lecture I was giving at the college there. But we went for a long walk down the bike trail, and I thought, oh, my God, this thing is magnificent. I wish that, you know, and it went for like 27 miles or something out into the gloaming of the Iowa farm country and probably connected with a whole bunch of other trails because I know they have them out there. My own town of Saratoga, which is a pretty high caliber small town by American standards, you know, it, it's... It's uh, economically okay. You know, it's got a healthy main street. It's got healthy residential neighborhoods. And we have zip for bike facilities and zip for any kind of a trail anywhere outside of the town. You know, the nearest one that you can find is the Glens Falls to Lake George Trail, which is a pretty good trail too. And for me, that was an interesting revelation. I I've taken it a bunch of times, but only one time did I actually take it from the very center of the city of Glens Falls out to the edge and beyond. The other times I started at the edge and went to Lake George. But the part that's in Glens Falls is a very carefully constructed hodgepodge of, of back streets, alleys that no longer really function as industrial alleys anymore because the industries are gone. Some uh, old uh, a railroad track that's not used anymore. And, and, you know, for the most part, the bike trails that exist in America now are rails-to-trails facilities. That was never a system that I was altogether comfortable with in the first place because I always thought, you know, we actually need the railroads. Now, I'm not totally against it, but, uh, you know, a couple of things you can say about that. One is that it has uh, existed as a form of land banking you know, of saving the rights of way for the future when maybe we will put rails or light rail on those places. But the other thing is, is that, you know, it's possible to have a bike trail and a railway along the same right of way. They don't have to be exclusive. And it's not like a freeway where the traffic is going constantly on a, on a set of railroad tracks. You know, you could probably enjoy quite a bit of tranquility in a railroad track you know, riding alongside one, and then every once in a while, your experience is punctuated by a train of some kind going by. But it wouldn't be like riding on Interstate 87, right? 
we've done kind of a weird job of that in America, and my own town is sorely lacking. Did I, now, am I making myself clear about this? I'm not against, in any way, I'm totally in favor of the bicycle. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Well, let's keep talking about this. Right. Um, now, in, in maybe not in Saratoga Springs, but in New York State, there's an extensive bicycle trail system that goes all the way from Albany to Buffalo and shoots off in different directions. And it follows the Erie Canal uh, route, doesn't it? Yes. Mostly? Yeah. I think it does actually use old rail beds, some of the old towpath. You know, they filled in the original Erie Canal, so maybe it uses even... Well, there's the original canal, and then there's the thing that replaced it, which they called the Barge Canal, right. which is really still the Erie Canal. Uh, um, and there are only a few places where it's different from the old canal, so and it still has the towpath along it. Right, so you, so you can you can ride for quite a long. There's long stretches of trail. However, there are still some gaps, and uh-huh. w- one of the gaps I'm the most intimate with is between Troy and Albany. There's a pretty nice bike trail along the Hudson River, but it's interrupted for about six blocks as you're if you're heading north from Albany. As you're going into Troy, you have to ride on the street in the city of Watervliet, but you have about a six-inch wide shoulder yeah. with these submerged sewer grates, and then you have trucks and buses going by, so it's dangerous to swerve out in the road. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a variety of reason, reasons why this one stretch hasn't been completed, but I was reading a very noble column by one of the business writers in this region talking about how we need to improve the uh, commuter bicycle trails. But she was getting so overly uh, fanciful with this, talking about showers, portable showers for bikes. And I'm thinking, America, we have to just complete the trail from point A to point B first before we do that. I mean, only when it's a viable trail, you know, between Troy and Albany will it really be successful for commuters. Otherwise, a lot of people use these trails for recreation. We're seeing this this same uh, phenomenon uh, in, in the railroad issue where... All over the United States, uh, we're pimping for high-speed rail and maglev rail, you know, which requires a whole different alternative set of uh, trackage, you know, that uh, with different curve ratios and different grading issues, and you know, we can't get it together to just put back into service the excellent railroad system that we had from 1923 yeah. that's mostly still there. So yeah. we tend to just over-engineer, over-design. We want to gold-plate these things when they, they don't need to be plated. You know, they just yeah. need to be... Uh, uh, just We just need some steel. We don't need gold plating on it. Yeah, maybe that's just an example of, of Americans coming up with excuses. Oh, I would ride my bike to work, but they don't have portable showers for me at the end. Because you can find a gym in a downtown area to go take a shower in before you go to work if you have to. It's not like you can't find other ways. You don't need these special showers. Well, Jim, there's a lot of money through the stimulus package for infrastructure. And have you seen anything on the horizon for bicycle trail initiatives? Do you think that this is an important issue? Maybe there will be funding for? I would be very surprised if we use much of that uh, stimulus money to do this. Because we're in such trouble with other things and things that will end up being perhaps more fundamental or at least perceived that way. Like, you know, the fact that so many of our highway bridges and, uh, are, you know, are substandard and threaten to kill people. That, that uh, there's this fear that people are going to die on these thousands of bridges across America that are not, you know, that have flunked the engineering test or that are getting too old and beat up. And as much as I am against further 
investments in happy motoring, you can see why it would be hard for our society to overcome that problem, you know, the need to, to fix that stuff. I just don't see how we can, you know, we're going to, and, and I, um, I don't want people to die on bridges in Minnesota. And I can't take the position that, you know, you can't spend money on that. I think it's just a, an unfortunate reality that we're so stuck in the psychology of sunk costs and the psychology of previous investment that we'll, we're not going to get out of that anytime soon. It may actually take the comprehensive failure of the happy motoring system to get us past that. And, and in the meantime, I'm afraid that the bicycle is going to be kind of the, you know, the runt of the litter and, and is going to be um, sort of starved and mistreated. Well, Jim, I don't know if any stimulus money went to the project, but let's talk about what's going on in New York City with Broadway. Mm -hmm. New York City is turning Broadway into a pedestrian... Partly. Partly pedestrian uh, way, and there will be bicycling. This is not intended for the couriers who go flying down the streets in their high-speed bikes, but, you know, for people just riding. Well, I think the idea is that they have this world-class, world-famous social space that's entirely degraded and tyrannized by automobiles, and maybe you can do a bit more of it to turn it into a meaningful public place, you know, on days other than New Year's Eve. That's probably a laudable thing. Uh, One thing that I wonder, though, you know, having known some new urbanist traffic engineers, you know, guys who came out of the world of traffic engineering and then became sort of card-carrying new urbanists, they seem to often take the position that it's not really a good thing to eliminate the car. It's much better to highly discipline the car. And that's, that's partly what you're seeing in places like Amsterdam, Holland, where the car is still present but it's so rigorously disciplined that it, it, you know, it's almost impossible for it to go more than five miles an hour in certain parts of the city for one reason or another. Uh, I don't really, I haven't seen the actual design plans for Broadway. I would say this, though, that the people who are doing the pedestrianizing uh, and the bike engineering now in, in the United States have gotten a lot better at it. We've gotten really quite good at it, I think. It's just that we, we still can't overcome you know, that part of the population that, that just wants the roads for motoring. They just want it reserved for cars no matter what. But, you know, I think we have the capability of, of doing something pretty good there. Well, talking about disciplining the car and not just kicking it out entirely, I've seen, the, have you seen these bicycle racks on the front of buses? Sure. Yeah. My friend uses one all the time. I'm kind of afraid because I don't exactly know how to put the bike on, so I don't want to make an ass of myself and I don't want the bike to fall Well, that's off. something you get over. But it, he loves it. I mean, he, he uses a combination of bus and bicycling to get around and get to work. Sure. Jim, have you seen any of these carts and accessories for bicycles for lugging? You know, well, heavy? I saw them in Amsterdam and I was very impressed with, you know, how they designed some bicycles that actually functioned like flatbed trucks. They had a huge flatbed in front of the handlebars, actually. And, you know, they had it designed so that there was a wheel system that allowed you, you could look at your load. Uh, and, you know, these were like eight foot long platforms for putting stuff on. So you could actually move quite a bit of stuff around town that way. And it seemed to be working for them. And, you know, it, it wasn't just a stunt. It was a normal part of how they did business. But, you know, they also do other things there that are normal uh, that for us are, are weird. Like uh, I was struck when I was in Amsterdam by how many shopkeepers were actually outside their shops 
cleaning off the awnings with with a big a long-handled broom-like brush and a pail of soapy water. They were actually cleaning their awnings. You know, in America, I mean, we you'd never see it, uh, someone doing that. They would just wait until it got tattered and then they'd replace it. But cleaning it, oh my God. Now, in Amsterdam, you mentioned they have bicycle, you can rent bicycles really easy. Oh, do sure. They, do they have these? I think in San Francisco, they have like a bike sharing program. Well, that. Paris does. Paris does. Pa- okay. Paris in the last year, and I haven't seen it. Uh, has instituted this, uh, you know, just basically, they must have found a better way of doing it because they tried it in Amsterdam, Holland about 20 years ago and all the bikes were stolen within about, I don't know, three months and then they just discontinued it. They do, you know, in Amsterdam, they do have a very um, healthy bike rental competition, you know, so there there are several companies that do that and, you know, you have to put a lot of, you have to put a big deposit down so that you're not gonna, you know, rip them off and it all works out. Uh, in Paris, they just instituted this new thing that I think has very clever uh, locking and tracking and uh, maybe uh, some computerization of the whole thing. I think that they've had some stolen, but just from what I've read about it, I think it's sort of successful. I, I, I really can't tell you. Uh, I would find Paris pretty intimidating to to ride a bike in. Yeah. Uh, you know, knowing how much they love to drive fast in the city there it would be kind of wild but but who knows yeah i once rode a bicycle through a, a roundabout in the uk and it was terrifying experience for me oh well my god um, not to mention the fact that they, they drive backwards there you know on the on the on the right side of the road i probably just didn't know what i was doing i didn't know i was trying to pedal as fast as i could to keep up with the cars because there's Cars turning off the roundabout. So, well, uh, I think there's a car, uh, a bicycle sharing program in San Francisco as well. Is there? Or I don't know. I can't okay. tell you. There's definitely a few initiatives. I around. wouldn't be surprised if we saw more and more of it. I, you know, I don't know the, the details of how you make it work without losing the bikes. Yeah. You know, even if you don't, uh, you know, bike rental and bike ownership is not the most difficult thing in the world. You know, you can get a decent bike that runs pretty well for $400. And if you're living in a city that's flat, and you don't need 18 gears, you know, you can get one that's even cheaper than that. As I recall, the ones I rode in Amsterdam were pretty uncomplicated because it's basically flat there. You know, you're hardly ever going up a hill unless you're going over a bridge. Well, Jim, thanks a lot for clearing that up and talking to us about bicycling. Well, I can't wait to, to you know, to be in a situation where people are biking more and taking it more seriously, and we are better designed and built for it. So that, that'll be very cool. I'm totally in favor of it. All right, thanks a lot. I'm going to be playing a listener comment in one moment. Don't forget to visit www.cnu.org to learn more about the Congress for the New Urbanism. Additional support for this podcast comes from Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of tens of thousands of audiobooks for download to your computer and iPod or MP3 player. Audible has more than 50,000 titles to choose from in every genre. KunstlerCast listeners can receive one free audiobook download if you visit www.audiblepodcast.com forward slash Kunstler and sign up today. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E podcast, one word, dot com forward slash Kunstler. Hello, Jim and Duncan. My name is Frederick Medler, and I'm an avid listener to the KunstlerCast. On a recent episode, I recall Jim making the comment that Frank Lloyd Wright did not like cities. As a former student of Wright's School of Architecture, I can attest he was actually very fond of the great cities of the world, particularly Paris, pre-war Berlin and Dresden, and Venice. Shortly after separating from his first wife in 1909, he spent nearly two years in Europe, 
particularly Germany and Italy, before returning to America. Have you ever seen his design for a museum and art gallery on the Grand Canal in Venice, or his master plan for the remaking of the entire central area of the city of Baghdad? What Wright really despised was the dirty, overcrowded industrial nightmare so many American cities had become. He sought to bring forth a vision respecting nature and better integrating our buildings and man-made landscapes into their geographic as well as cultural settings. He was also one of the earliest proponents of passive solar and climatic sensitive design, as can be experienced in his early ferry houses within and around Chicago. It really is unfair, I think, that he was ever considered an advocate of the suburban-style, oil-dependent garbage that surrounds so many of our urban centers today. Remember, he was a product of his time, and I am inclined to believe that were he alive today, he would be out there front and center, espousing better land use, pedestrian-friendly communities, and a renewal of our urban centers as inspiring places to both live in and work. You've been listening to the Kunstler Cast featuring James Howard Kunstler. To leave a listener comment, call toll-free at 866-924-9499. Send email to letters at kunstlercast.com. You can listen to all of our previous episodes, find out how to book Jim to speak in your area, learn about our theme music, and talk about the show with other listeners at kunstlercast.com. I'm your host, Duncan Crary. Thanks for listening.